0: You guys are the best group ever to speak in front of. And I, I love how you guys just respond. And so if you guys, again, have something you guys want to give an amen or a mm-hmm or those kinds of deals, bring it. All right? So we're talking on the blood of Jesus tonight. The bl- Yeah! <laughs> Someone's already got it, right? The blood of Jesus. Now, just I want to season your mind real quick with just blood in general. And I work with... Uh, my wife sometimes, and there's a lot of blood in what my wife does. She's a horse veterinarian, and blood grosses me out. Like, if any of you guys have a a squeamish, you know, stomach, whatever, like, you know, don't come talk to me afterwards because I'll share stories about how, like, we sewed up horrible, awful things that were, like, pools of blood and things. So blood is, like, not a topic I'm, like, really that fond about. And um, we're going to have a baby in, like, four and a half, five weeks, and I'm just hoping I don't pass out, you know, during the... (laughs) But blood, there's an interesting like blood grows up, but blood carries life. Blood carries life in, and a person uh, dies if they do not have blood. It's not that obvious, right? But the life is in the blood. You cease to have blood, you cease to have life. And that's a metaphor for us that we need to keep coming back to, that without the blood... Of Christ, we do not have life. Just like you and I, if we were to cut ourselves and bleed out, we would cease to exist and we would die. And without the blood of Jesus, we will refuse to live a life that he has promised. And so understanding not only the context of the blood of Jesus, understanding the role and also its uses is what we're going to talk about tonight. And Jesus was so concerned that we would forget the blood of Jesus. He says, do this in remembrance of me, speaking of communion. And so we're going to do communion together tonight at the end of the service, which is going to be so stinking awesome. And uh, I just, I, I think it's instrumental that, that God doesn't want us to forget these truths. If you read like the Old Testament, you'll, you'll hear about uh, God doing great things, and he's like, and go build a pile of rocks, you know, so you won't forget. How many of you guys feel like God does amazing things in your life, and it's like, maybe like, God, you know, give me give me a car, and someone like gives you a car that day, and the next day you're like, God, give me something else, you know, like you're so not faithful, but he's like, but yesterday I like, you know, totally hooked you up, like did you forget already? There's so many seasons of my life where I, I look back and I see God totally answered prayer, and I'm so quick to forget. I almost need like it on my arm so I wouldn't forget, we watched the movie Memento this past weekend, which is a total creepy and cool movie, and a guy like, that tattoos things on his body so he wouldn't forget. He's trying to solve like, this murder of his wife, and uh, he had this traumatic uh, experience where he can no longer build short-term memories. And so every day he wakes up and has completely forgotten everything up until that day that he had that trauma. And so what he'll do is like, he'll make himself notes, and then he tattoos them on his body, all over so that he won't forget. I feel like that is what Jesus has was like, please make just a, a substantial effort to remember the things that I'm doing in your life. So if you journal, if you have different ways, I just encourage you guys, just as we, we walk through this and to go through the season and we remember his blood tonight, it's just to be a personal note in your life. Try and, and, and make mention in a personal journal or someplace what God's doing in your life. All right, so the old context of, of blood is the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament, you know, it's kind of weird because these people bring sacrifices. And they, 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 you know, sacrifice animals and birds and cows and all sorts of things on the altar. And there's all this ritual. And it all is for the blood that would be spilled. And now why is that? Is that back in the Old Testament, before we had Christ our Savior, He was the sacrifice for us. Is that God says that your your, your sins will be atoned by the shedding of innocent blood of, of these animals. As a, a token for what uh, you've done in, in my agreement with you to to forgive you. And so, it was always about bringing a sacrifice, sacrifice for, uh, for the, the sins of our, our generation, our, our people, each other, our families. And it's kind of disturbing because I'm a total animal lover, and, and the, the context is that people would bring, like, their favorite little lamb, you know, like the little lamb that maybe, like, the son or daughter was so attached to, and, and they have to bring it there, and they'd have to slit its throat and spill its blood on the altar and the family have to explain to the little child this is for what we have done this is for the atonement of our life so that we would have a relationship with God and that he would forgive us kind of gnarly huh and so blood was all over the old testament wide as a as a ratification of what God said he would do to forgive his people the blood was like the, the, the signature on the contract, if you will, of what God promised he would do, and so the blood was the contextual agreement, the, the ratifying force that God says this will happen. Kind of crazy. It seems like so old and foreign, but really what it all was was a shadow of things to come in Jesus. Jesus. All those rituals, they were a, a prophetic declaration that someday there would be one sacrifice, one bloodshedding that would cancel all other sacrifices and would atone for all people of all generations forever. And that is the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus was not only the sacrifice, but the Bible says that he was our high priest. Now, in our day and age, we're just like, whatever that means, it's like super pastor? What does high priest even mean? And Paul was, you know, mentions this a lot, and it's referring to, like, the Jewish culture. And, and they would know that there's a high priest that would go each year and go into the Holy of Holies behind this huge curtain and once a year make a sacrifice for himself and his people for God. And so that, that high priest was decreed by the law. He had to be, like, the most righteous and holy person. And they even had to, like, put a rope around his, his waist and with a bell, and so he would go in there and he'd make these sacrifices and people would stand outside like behind this curtain, you know, the hole in the other end, and they'd listen for a bell to hit the ground in case God struck him down. And if he wasn't holy, if he came and, and he was an unrighteous man and, and totally messed it up. And so you hear the bell clang and then you, you know, you pull him back out because you couldn't go in there. Crazy. And so that was a high priest. And so when Paul says that Jesus is our high priest, we're like, Oh, that doesn't mean much to me. But for the Jewish people, the people that were the old covenant, that makes perfect sense. And so Hebrews, this is where it is in, in chapter 7, 26. I think we have it here on the, on the screen. We're going to kind of jump around a couple of scriptures here. But it says that such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And this is key. Unlike the other high priest's, He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as a high priest men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, that's Jesus, who has been made perfect forever. This is important because every other high priest, every other man was imperfect. He was always making atonement for his sins and others. And Jesus, as you know, is the sinless high priest. And he went and he made his sacrifice only with you in mind. It's a powerful truth that he was Perfect in every single way, yet he was the one who pleads for us. So he is the perfect, sinless priest making the perfect sacrifice for us. If you're Jewish, it makes a ton of sense. For us, we're like, okay, that's cool. I'm fine with that. Because we don't have that contextual Old Testament culture that we have a mindset with. I guess with me so far? Okay. Now up to something more contemporary here. So beyond being the priest and beyond being the sacrifice, Jesus' blood redeemed every single one of us. It redeemed us. That's an important word. I don't know about you, but when I think about being redeemed from God, I don't think um, really like I was that righteous or that holy. I kind of think of like that a king came down and chose a peasant and brought him into his inner courts and like come sit at my table. I think of that, that he is much higher and he has come off of his, you know, grand throne and he's brought us into his little place and we need to, like, you know, do, like, this kind of deal as we, like, leave his presence, you know? Like, that's what I think. I think, like, two completely different economic, social, like, bloodline differences completely. Now, check out Colossians 1.20 and it says this. This is Colossians 1.20, and God purposed through him, that's Jesus, That all things, everyone say all things, should be completely reconciled, everyone say reconciled, back to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, as through him made peace by means of the blood of the cross. It's interesting, you notice that reconciled back, Not for the first time I bring you into my courts. Reconciled back. Now, what is that referring to? Well, if if you were with us for our Ephesians study, we know that God predestined us, that we were created in in the the throne room with him, and we were were imagined before all the heavens and the earth and the waters, all that stuff was created. Like, God thought of us. And it says that we're seated with Christ. Kind of crazy. And so when it says that we are reconciled back, it's referring to this, that our original state our original presence, that God has a seated next to him in the heavenly realms and that the blood reconciles back to that state. A little, little abstract, but let, let me paint it this way. Now let's say you have a king and the king has a son and the son sits next to the king and the king uh, has appointed that, that son as the, the steward, kind of a, a co-ruler of the realm. Are you with me? And so then that king has a villain come by and steals his son, the prince. Now, don't you think that the king, when his son was stolen, the prince, that he would have a plan to get him back? Are you with me? The king has a plan to get back that which the villain stole from him, and surely he would bring him back. And when he brings him back, he's not going to just put him into a peasant audience. He's going to restore him back to where he was. Are you with me? You and I are, are the are that the prince or the princess seated with Christ? That is our original position. And the blood of Christ says that we were redeemed back, we are being restored back to our original position and place of, of authority. So the blood was that ransom, if you will. Have anybody seen the movie Taken? That is a cool movie, huh? Think of that. You know, like this father that's like, I will I will cut you to get my daughter back. You know, he he'll do anything. And and he's all about redeeming his daughter. He's not going to treat his daughter once his daughter's back as, you know, garbage. No, he's he's restoring us back. And that is what God has done exactly for us. He doesn't merely cover our sins with the blood. He wants to restore all of us, you and me, back to the place of authority, which is ours. If if our positioning, if that stuff is kind of new, go on our website, check out Ephesians 1. And it, it kind of explains it all in there. Are you guys with me? All right, so the blood was a ransom that, that bought us back. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says that you were bought, again, reinforcing this, that we were purchased back with a price. And the Amplified Bible says, purchased with a preciousness and paid for, made his own. That we were bought with a price. Everyone say, I was bought. I was bought, I was bought with a price. Can you, can you feel that? Last week, I challenged you, do you really value your life? Do you really value that, that Christ paid all the penalty just for you? If there was one person that Christ could die for, and he's like, I'm going to die for you to have eternal life, would you say my life is worth it? Go ahead and, and be crucified. We need to know that, that Christ thought of each one of us when he was put on the cross, and that he, the, the price he paid was not cheap. The price was precious. It was expensive. It was with the king's son. And so we need to act and behave and respond like our lives were purchased with the blood of the king. It's a powerful, powerful truth. We are his sons and daughters, and we're being restored through him. So if Jesus was the high priest, he was the sacrifice, we were ransomed, all that great stuff, we're we're restored back. Now why was it Jesus' life that had to purchase us back? Genesis. If you recall, that that Adam in the garden even warned him, like, you can have every single fruit on every single tree. You just can't have this one tree's fruit. And he said, and you eat of this, you'll surely die. Now we know that he wasn't talking about that he'll cease to live and he'll cease to breathe, but it means that 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 death would enter the earth. Are you with me? That you eat of that fruit that. That sin, because God so loved us, he wanted to give us free choice to have genuine relationship with him. And so when Adam and Eve partook of the apple, death entered the world, and we know that the, the death comes from the enemy. And uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 4 says that Satan is the god of this world. And so at that moment, Satan was, was thrown from heaven and took dominion over the world at that point. Crazy. And so we, we know that Uh, that death reigns in our our culture, in our body, that that the enemy is there to kill, steal, and destroy, John 10.10. He's there for the destruction of our lives, our hearts. And so that is what he means, that death entered the world. Now, if you were to take, uh, by accident, a poison, like you, you ingest a poison, you need to have an antidote that will perfectly reverse the poison or you die. Are you with me? Jesus' blood, because he was perfect, because he was the high priest, Jesus' blood is the perfect antidote for the poison. That is why it had to be Jesus' blood. It just wasn't a very good man who had pearly white teeth and always carried lambs and all these children loved him blood. It was, no, the righteous blood of the king must be spilled because death entered the world and Jesus said, I came to give you what? Life. Jesus' blood is the exact antidote to the curse of death that happened from the Garden of Eden. Are you with me? A powerful truth is that Satan is afraid of the blood of Jesus. Satan is terrified of the blood of Jesus. He hopes that you and I never come to this knowledge, this context, this truth. Now, why is that? is that it was the blood that defeated Satan. Remember, the blood of Jesus is the antidote to death. Basically, it was the, the blood that defeated Satan for all of eternity. The blood that was spilled on the cross was the antidote. And we look at the Old Covenant, you know, when people sacrificing animals, that blood just simply covered people for a, a period, but there'd have to be a new sacrifice and an eventual atonement that would happen again. It just merely kind of covered it. Kind of like the, uh, you know, guys, maybe you know this, like you get done playing basketball and you're like, man, I don't have time for a shower. You pull out a little cologne and you're just like, I'll just put this kind of action on, you know? Like, that's kind of what it was. Oh, you guys are kind of grossed out. It, it doesn't do the job. It just kind of masks it. And so the blood of Jesus, it wasn't just the covering. It wasn't just kind of the, the cologne on our, our, our stinky sin. It was the finishing work of our lives. The finishing work of the atonement. That is why we don't have sacrifices here. Wouldn't it be awkward if we, like, bring a cow in here? <laughs> You're like, what? That, that is why, like, His blood covered all. It's finished. And it means two things. Is that, one, there never needs to be another sacrifice again. Amen? And two is that it will pay for everything for eternity for us. Amen? It's great news. I don't like killing animals anyways. But Jesus had put his life so that that would be the answer. That would be the the killing blow. Do you guys remember what Jesus said when he was on the cross? It is finished. Significant that no longer would be separated. And at that moment, remember that tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, where the, the high priest goes in, you know, like all trembling? is that, that dividing curtain is like, you know, four feet thick, goat hair, all these things. And it said that it was torn from end to end, vertically, signifying that now Jesus is in our hearts and our lives. It's awesome. And so because Satan is so terrified of the blood, it is important to know that, that Satan uh, did not know what he was doing when he crucified Jesus. See, we, we have revelation. We have uh, an access into the heart and mind of God. It, our scripture tells us that we would seek wisdom and revelation. We know that in Hebrews, God says, Before I spoke to prophets, but now I speak to you with Christ in your hearts. But he doesn't do that to Satan. So Satan's kind of like in react mode. So Satan had no idea what would happen when he was... Uh, deceiving the religious rulers and bringing Jesus into the courts. He had no idea. Satan thought he was on the run. Satan was like, oh, this is my best day ever. I'm winning this sucker. He knew who Jesus was, but he, he thought he was winning the entire time. Satan had no idea when Jesus was going to the cross that it was his defeat. Are you with me? Satan was like charging. He was like, I can't believe I'm winning. And the very blood that was spilled for us was Satan's ultimate defeat it was his ultimate defeat for you and me and you and you and you all of us that satan is defeated we need to know like that the victory is ours it's not something we need to try and contend for the enemy was defeated we only have we we only give the enemy victory for that which we surrender freely to him There's no reason that we need to say that I can't control the sin of my life. I can't control the temptation. It's like I've given you feet, I've given you the word, I've given you heart, I've given you promise and truth for an identity. You get your tail out of there when when Satan's coming to you. And you speak back the word of the Lord and you, you plead the blood over your life to defeat the enemy. The finishing work of the cross did it all. And so we need to know that we are not subjected to the sins of the world. We don't have to stand it. Jesus says it's finished. Stop living like you're in the old covenant. But isn't that like us, like we we mess up and we think, oh man, like we don't think of like an animal we have to sacrifice, we're like, man, I won't watch TV tonight because I sinned today. Or like, we'll we'll try and withhold something that we think is like, you know, kind of punishes us a little bit. Like, I'll go to bed early or maybe I really won't go on that trip or maybe I don't deserve, you know, that new purse or something. I mean, like, don't you do that, like, you, you play, like, mentally, like, a little scoreboard, like, I did this, and so, oh, well, I better pay for that. It's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. But here's, here's the deal, is that oftentimes, Satan thinks he's doing some terrible thing in your life that will finish us off, just like Christ. He was doing terrible things and deceiving people, and Jesus was going to the cross, and Satan thought he had it all. Isn't that like us? Where Satan begins to to work in us, and he thinks he's going to finish us off. And he thinks that this is going to be the end of you. If I can just get you to go here, then that's going to be the end of you. I'm telling you, this is legit. And what happens is that when Satan thinks he has victory, God is able to, like that, turn that so-unquote victory that Satan had into his victory and to completely destroy it all. I find that the greatest uh, areas that we've stumbled, maybe the greatest victories, you would say, of of Satan in our life, that God can turn that around and use it for good. He'll use it to give you a ministry and a witness and a platform. We live lives of quiet desperation all around each other, and we're looking for a, a, a righteous existence. We're looking to be justified, to know that our life matters. And so as we come out of strongholds, as we come out of bondages, as we come into victory, Our scars from previous times where the enemy has come after us become our greatest assets to speak the truth to all of us. Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things. Everyone say, all things. All things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Is that there? Anybody look like God causes... I love that like, even my notes are highlighted up there. God causes. That means that the burden's not on us. The burden is on Christ. God's saying, because you're my son and daughter, I need to take all that garbage and all that junk that maybe you've wandered into, and I have to change that. I have to turn that ashes into beauty. Are you with me? But we get so confused. We, we get so caught up that I have to do it, and God's saying, just hand it over to me. Walk in victory, and watch how we won't take that, that life that you burned down to the ground, those ashes, and I'll turn it into a beautiful example of my love and my redemption for you. It's awesome. It is awesome. Somehow we've been confused by the enemy that God either will not or cannot take our broken lives and make it good. Do you ever wonder like, God, I I don't know if I can really bring this to you. Do you think God's going to be like, wow, I've never heard of that sin. That is so creative. No, he's not going to be like, God is not surprised by any of our stuff. He's not like, oh, man, I'm going to have to put in some long hours for this one. He's not impressed with whatever you've wanted yourself in. He might say, whoa, that's stinky, and we're going to have to clean that up. But I got got a lot of soap, and I have my heart. I'm willing to spend my entire existence to make you right, to make you pure, to make you whole, and not only that, to make the, the path that you left an amazing testimony to my heart for you. I'm able. And I just want to tell you guys that, and this, this broke my heart. We we're on the retreat, and there's a girl, and she struggled to tell myself and Eric some of the things that she was struggling with. She's like, you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. If, if you believe that we can't handle your stuff, you must think that we have a tiny ministry that has no substance at all because if we can't deal with the, the reality of our stuff, then we're not an effective ministry. We're not here to, to do a bunch of music and have you know, big wheels and posters, which are really cool, I get it. But we are here to get to the depths of our hearts, of our issues, the strongholds, to break those. And so there's no place that our team and our hearts won't go with you. There's no place that you cannot let us into because God is like, I'm, I'm bigger than that. You think that's bad? My son got crucified for you. Let's talk about bad. Is that I saw religious leaders take my son to the cross. You think you feel guilty for whatever you did? Try me again. And so we need to come boldly into the throne room. 1 John 5.13 says that this is the confidence that we have before Christ that if we ask anything according to his will that he hears us. So surely if you have brokenness and you're like, God, fix my brokenness. He wants you to be whole. Surely the Bible promises that he will hear you and make you whole. But it's going to take a little bit of work on your end to first bring it up and to walk in victory. Expose the light. Stop hiding it behind because you think people are going to look at it. God is not scared of your stuff. God is not impressed by how you've burned your life to the ground. He's like, I've seen much worse. This is easy. Come on. Now, we must learn how to use the blood. Now, all this stuff, this all sounds great. How on earth does this make any sense to, like, how I use this? Now, we, we look back in... Um, the Old Testament, and blood was kind of a sign of protection. Remember like in uh, the Old Testament in Exodus, I think it's Exodus 12, and God commanded his people like, all my people, I need you to go put blood, blood of a lamb, on your doorpost because there's going to be an angel of death that's going to come over all there and take all the firstborn. And so people went and put blood on the door ends. So it'd be a sign of protection. And and we need to know that there's a a, a faith principle in here for us to put on the blood of Jesus onto our lives. Now, the blood of Jesus is, is great, but unless we know how to use it, it's totally ineffective. If I have an alarm system in my house and I don't know how to configure it, it does nothing to protect me. Amen? We need to know how to apply, how this actually translates into my life being made for protection, for good, for power, for strength, because I don't want to live a weak, lame existence in Christ. And, you know, as we talk about putting on the blood, what does that look like? We don't simply, like, cut ourselves or do something creepy like cults will kind of do that, you know? We don't have to do that. We have to, by faith, just using the, the, the phrasing, Jesus, I put the blood of Jesus over my life, over my family, over all that you've put into my hands, everything that I'm a steward of. Lord, I put the blood of protection over there. And there's such power with our words it says in, in Revelation that we shall overcome the enemy by the word of the, la- the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The words, it needs to be spoken into existence. And so as we speak that, we say, Jesus, put the blood of Jesus over my life. We say, I put it there. We speak that, the enemy hears us because we're speaking directly to his defeat. And say, Jesus, do that, protect me over all this. And so we, an example prayer would be like, Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I put the blood of Jesus in my life and all that's on me, or all that's in me. And uh, I put it on my mind, my body, my emotions, any area that you're struggling with. Try next time praying for the blood of Jesus to be over it. Watch what will happen. We say, Jesus, you have done it all on the cross and I apportion that blood, that sacrifice to this area of my life. I ask for protection here. Jesus is faithful to answer when we do that. And also because the, the enemy wants us to forget about the blood. He knows that there is such power in the blood, he wants us to forget it. He wants to, don't, don't think about it, don't think about that at all. And that's why Jesus said, remember me when you take of his blood and eat of his flesh. He says, remember me. Satan wants us to forget. but well, we can't forget because the blood is a covenant. Now, covenant is like, whoa, like that's kind of a New King James word, you know, and, and covenants like blood covenants were pretty gnarly. Like, it's uh, having to like the shedding of blood, like people together. And people would make covenants with each other where they would, you know, cut themselves and they would like have their blood mingled. Sometimes they both pour it into a cup, and they would, you know, drink it. And um, it's kind of crazy, but it was like this lifelong commitment. And the blood covenants uh, were substantial throughout the whole entire Old Testament. And there's even a really powerful one, and I encourage you guys to to read this on your own. It's Genesis 15, and it's kind of like the first blood covenant. And this is so awesome, is that Abraham was talking with God, and God's like, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and it's going to be a blood covenant. So God instructs Abraham to get all these animals, and he basically says, I'm going to, you know, cut them in two, and you put them on two ends. So like, you know, one here and one here. Now, the Old Testament tradition is like, you put two halves of this massive sacrifice, and then two people, they walk through the two ends to signify the joining of their covenant. Are you with me? And so when when God says, put these two ends, if you read it says, and a sleep came over Abraham, and God sent a torch, and the torch went through the ends by itself. Meaning what? Meaning that God made his covenant, his promise with himself. He cannot break it. We think of contracts and you make contracts to like figure out how do we unwind this when, it, when one of the party breaks. A contract is made based on mutual distrust. A covenant is made on mutual trust that we are in this together for life. There are people in this audience right now, there's so many of you that we have lifelong covenants, that's what we're about. We're about that eternity is here and now and what we do here echoes in eternity. That was a movie quote which was awesome. What movie is that from? Gladiator. Thank you. I knew someone knew that. And so the relationships we build here last in eternity, but a covenant is about mutual trust. But God, so concerned about us, was like, I am going to be the one person who walks through. I am going to be the one person that binds the contract to myself. And that's what Jesus did. His blood covenant was like, I am faithful to this to the end, even though you might not be. I cannot break this with myself. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Now, there's a story, and this is, you know, a lot of my, my stuff here tonight is from Sarah Warner. She gave uh, someone, a, Eric, a book, and, and it's called The Word, The Name, and the Blood. It's a great, 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 great book. And um, there's a story in there, and it's a story of this guy named uh, Henry Stanley. And he was an African missionary. And so he was traveling through Africa, and you're going across all these indigenous tribes and things, and there's a, a big history of people, like, not surviving, you know, those tribes. And so we came upon this one tribe, and the king wanted to come forward, and they're so concerned about people coming and doing war, as the king says, I need to make a covenant with you, it's going to be a blood covenant, that you will be my friend not my foe forever. It would be this eternal peace treaty, are you with me? And so the, the king of this tribe, uh, customs uh, were that you would bring the thing that's most valuable to you to the covenant, and you exchange gifts. Kind of how David and Jonathan exchange gifts. So the, the king comes, and he's like, bring what is the most important thing to you. Now this guy Henry, he was so sick, the only thing he could eat was milk from the single goat that would produce milk for him. It was the only goat he owned. And so he only had that to offer. And so it was the, the most important thing to him. Like his entire livelihood was based on this stupid little goat that nourished him. And so he comes, they do the, the, the cutting covenant, and so then they, they exchange. And he gets the king's spear. He's like, perfect, you know. I give you my life, you know, in a goat, and you give me a spear. Now, a funny thing happened is that as that man walked out and continued to pass through after that tribe, he noticed that every single tribe he came to when he was carrying that spear would bow down to him. They recognized that that spear belonged to the most powerful tribe in all of Africa. Are you with me? Powerful. That God asks us for our best and he gives us his best. We sacrifice what we think is so, so important. We give it to him and God just completely overwhelms us on such a more powerful realm that, that people just bow down at the sign of the spear. The sign of the spear to dis- displaying who that person belongs to, who they've been associated with, their posse, if you will, like all that awesome stuff. And the man said, like, I asked somebody for a, a milk goat, and he got an entire herd of milk goats in return. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. And it's the same thing with him, with Jesus is that when we give him our best, we got we have to believe that his word says, I'm gonna return it tenfold. I'm gonna return it. You can trust me with it. You can trust me with your heart, with your life with that relationship, with your finances, with all those things. You can trust me with Just bring yourself and offer to me and I'll exchange it. And sometimes all we have to offer is the burned down life that we have. And God's like, that's good enough for me. Because he knows the pain that went into burning our lives down. He's like, I know the cost of those ashes and I want them all. I want every last one. Uh. So what I want to do now is invite our, our leaders up. We're going to do communion. And the band, if, if I, I think the band's going to play some music while we do communion. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a couple stations, um, our team that's doing communion. they're going to be around. Um, leaders, if, if you guys were talked about communion, you guys should already know the drill. <laughs> uh, but what we're going to do is we're just going to partake in communion together to recognize these things that, that Jesus finished it all. That Jesus wants to exchange for us his best. That he is our high priest. That we are bought with the price. That we have been restored. All these powerful things. So we, we take this and we use the blood as a reminder. And what I want our, our, our team to do is, uh, is I want them just to, to pray for the blood of Jesus as they give it to you. And you're going to take it. You'll take it to yourself. But I, I want you to just to internalize the blood of Jesus is over my life right now. Me taking this, this is the blood that covers my life. (laughs) It's awesome. Thank you, guys. So, why don't we all stand? We're just going to sing a little bit of uh, songs here. And um, I encourage you guys to to come boldly. Like, if this is your first time communion, it doesn't matter. Now, come forward and, and just receive the blood that covers everything. It 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 covers everything. So, Jesus, we commit to you, God, the remembrance of what you did on the cross for us. Lord, we commit to you that our lives are in so desperate need to remember the blood of Jesus for our lives. Lord, I pray for just the brokenness that would be in in our midst. God, you have everything necessary to put back everything that the enemy stole, everything the enemy killed and destroyed. So Jesus, as we partake in the body and the blood, we pray that supernaturally, Lord, you begin to restore our generation. Lord, there are identities in here. Identities that have been spoken into non-existence. Identities that have been trashed, that have been stepped on, that have been mashed into the ground. And God, I pray that you would revive the value of our hearts, of our bodies, of our minds. Jesus, you ransomed your son for us. He was the price. Thank you, Jesus, that we are being restored to you. for more. Lord, I pray that as, uh, as we partake, that you also would even just visually just change us, God. That our lives would be as if we are carrying the spear of the greatest king on earth. And God, that the the heavens and the earth, Lord, your kingdom as it is in heaven here on earth now would respond to the blood of Jesus on our life, would respond to the ownership of our lives in the heavenly realms that it belongs to you. I pray, Lord, that we would be so passionate about living a life that reflects who we belong to. We belong to you, Jesus. We pray that would be so evident in our lives, overflow in us, and I pray right now also, Lord, that, that those of, of us, God, that are just wrestling with just a life that's been burned down, a life that's been totally messed up, I pray also in this moment that you would give them boldness and healing for that brokenness. That there'd be nothing, God, that would surprise you. Of course, we know that, but Lord, that you'd help us with our flesh and our minds to know that we can bring it all to you. And you already know, Lord. That's the crazy thing. You know every little bit. You know every last detail. And we just pray that we would bring it and just hand it to you, Lord. We just pray just that for ministering angels to be in this place. So serve us, Lord, just a portion of your grace as we partake now. Covers us and did it all. We thank you for this tonight. Amen. So as we worship, come as you guys like. And uh, let's worship together.